So we are, uh, like I said, we are starting through, we're actually going to go through the entire book of Ephesians together as a church. We're going to preach through everything that Paul preached through. We're going to talk about everything that Paul talked about, regardless of how uncomfortable the topic is. Um, but what's important is that we get to the why of the topic, right? Uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, but if you read a letter written 2,000 years ago, it might not translate exactly like you think it would in plain English all the time. Heck, I read some of my old Facebook posts when they pop up, and I'm like, what am I saying, right? And that was, that was just like five years ago. Language changes like crazy, um, and especially when you don't have some kind of online dictionary, so people just say whatever they want, and it can mean different things in different cultures and different cities, and so we just want to really dive in and see what is Paul saying to the church of Ephesus. Now, um, uh, so you guys ready for that? Can we just do that? Can we just jump right in? Can we just talk about Ephesians? Uh, so uh, we're going to focus on v- chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 today. Now, we're not typically going to go this slow through Ephesians, uh, but I did want to introduce the book as a whole. And so I didn't want to make sure, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't also then trying to preach a 10-hour sermon on top of it. Uh, so the book of Ephesians, let's, let's, let's like mentally get back to what is happening uh, back in these days, right? So the book of Ephesians... People will call it the great book of identity. Many theologians will say that. Uh, Paul calls Christians saints more than he does in any other book in the Bible. Uh, Paul refers to himself as an apostle. Paul is going to deal with the uh, godhood of Jesus, identifying Jesus as God. He is going to identify him as the Messiah. He's going to identify us. Uh, Paul really gets into, like, know who you are in this book. It is consistent all the way through, Uh, and there's a big reason for that. Uh, The reason being that the letter to Ephesus very likely wasn't actually written to Ephesus, Uh, right? But why do we call it Ephesians? Because that's the first place that got it. Uh, So uh, there, there were two types of letters that they would write back in these days, the apostles would, right? Ready for a big term, but it's actually really simple. Uh, They're called circular letters. Right, And what that means is Paul would sometimes, the apostles would write letters that they wanted handed out to everyone. And sometimes they would write letters to specific churches. Right, um, And this was one of those letters that was handed around to everyone. Um, Paul, uh, you can tell because typically when you're reading the letters, Paul will be like, I heard this happened and we're going to talk about it, right? Um, If you read through Ephesians, there's actually no apparent reason for the writing of Ephesians. He doesn't address why he's writing it. And the reason is, is because he's writing a general letter to everybody. Uh, Paul spent years in the Ephesus church, but when you read the writings, he very rarely refers to them in a personal way, right? Because the letter wasn't just to them. Right. The only thing you'll see is in the beginning when he says to the church in Ephesus, and then when you read, when you find all the other writings of this letter, because this letter was copied and copied and copied, very rarely will the words Ephesians actually be copied over. Right. The reason why people think that happened was because he wrote the first letter to Ephesians, and when they copied it to send it back out, it wasn't for Ephesians. So then they, <laughs> you know. Um, they would just erase that portion and then send the rest of the letter out. And so for us, we're going to read to the saints who are in Ephesus, but most of the ancient letters of this letter that we have don't actually say the word Ephesian in it. Does that make sense? Uh, It's just, there's something about history that I think uh, a lot of us, it's easy for us to forget, 
History is complicated, <laughs> right? Uh, it, whatever you read in a textbook, the problem with history is there's 10 other perspectives on the topic. Uh, the other problem with history is that whenever something happens in the past, if we come back thousands of year later, years later and look back, we only have a portion of the story, right? Me and Zach were laughing recently when we were talking. Uh, if you remember uh, back in 2016 to 2020, uh, we had a president. President was Donald Trump, right? And there was an ongoing phrase that would go all over Twitter. And this isn't a statement of a politics, by the way. Deep breath, that's fine. But there was a statement going all over Twitter. And the, the statement basically said, orange man bad, right? Now, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that. I'm saying that's what was being said, right? Now, imagine 2,000 years from now, someone reading that. That's going to be nonsense to them. They're going to be like, what was there like? You know, and then, and then if you think about it, they're going to start taking weird stories, and then you, you never know what's going to happen. There's going to be some book about, like, oh, the, the Americans, and they, they feared some kind of orange monster that was, you know, and that's like they're going to start writing stories, and they're going to be, oh, this isn't a classic American fairy tale. And it's like, it's going to be insane. And that's because across thousands of years, we lose context if we're not careful. Which is why you know, the, the, the apostles knew this. It's why they wrote so much, and it's why they had letters copied so often. It's why when the apostles started to pass away, their followers wrote creeds, things of like, hey, this is what we believe very blatantly. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Like this, these creeds that are just blatant because they're like later people might look back and they might not get everything written down. The problem with Paul is when Paul wrote, he was confusing. The Bible says that. <laughs> Peter, in 2 Peter, said, hey, everything Paul writes, take it as scripture, even though it's confusing. That's awesome. It's amazing. Not all apostles were created equal, I suppose. They all had their roles and their functions, and apparently Peter's was not the writer. Um, they call it the great book of identity. But also, uh, a lot of people, so I, I went to Liberty. Uh, it's a Baptist college. I'm not Baptist, but I did go to a Baptist college. And uh, Elmer Towns is uh, someone I really like a lot, and he wrote a lot of stuff for Liberty. He's a good theologian. Uh, you know, like any other theologian, I don't agree with everything. Uh, but if you're ever wondering about good people to look into, look into Elmer Towns. He's a pretty good writer. And something that, him, that he wrote about Ephesians is he says, it is the book of the wealth, the walk, and the warfare of the believer. Right, the, the, he called it the three W's, right? Paul is explaining, for wealth, he's explaining who we are. I don't mean money. I mean like the wealth of God's love for us, right? The walk, how Christians should walk. The warfare, how Christians should perceive the world and protect themselves, right? And that's going to come slowly through the letter. Um, also, the Calvaries, uh, there's a Calvary actually up the street. They go through the Bible chapter by chapter. I mean, they're not quite, uh, they literally, they'll start in Genesis and just read through the Bible as a church, which is actually pretty awesome because the Bible's important. And I think sometimes we lose sight in that. And when a preacher comes up and goes, this is my one verse for the day and then doesn't even address the verse, uh, we can lose sight of the importance of the Bible. So it's always really cool when some of these churches, they, they instill in their culture, like, hey, the Bible's important. And I don't know if you guys know this about the Bible, but it, it's still relevant today. Um, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And so when God says, I love or hate, or I, which again, the Bible does actually say God hates certain things. Uh, but when, when the Bible, when God says certain things about his character, these are unchanging truths. And so we can look back and have confidence that the Bible is still relevant because the God of the Bible is unchanging. Now, sometimes he'll make different covenants with us. He'll change us, <laughs> right? But his love is consistent. Uh, you'll hear people say, why does the God of the Old Testament seem so hateful and the God of the New Testament seem so loving? It's like, I can show you some really terrifying verses in the New Testament, and I can show you some of the sweetest passages you'll ever read in the Old. Right? The book of Hosea is one of my favorite examples. It's a prophet in the Old Testament whose wife cheats on him and leaves him. And then God says, now go and marry her again. Like, I will come back to my people who have betrayed me. It's mercy. It's beautiful. And that's Old Testament. <laughs> right? And then also you go to the New Testament, and you see that God says, I'm going to fill the ravines with the blood of my enemies. <laughs> that's, that's Revelation. That's in the New Testament Bible, right? So it's just what I mean is, is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love that. Like, it's like we have this thing where it's like God flooded the whole earth, and, and, it's, and he's been nice ever since. It's like, no, he's been the same ever since. <laughs> he hasn't been changing. But that's what that means, though, is that his love is also the same. And what's really important about the book of Ephesians is Paul really wants the readers to understand their identity. Because if you understand who God is and you understand who you are, then you will find a level of peace and contentment that is unshakable. I think so often the enemy tries to steal our gaze away from God tries to help us forget who we are, that we really are children of God. That did you know that God actually isn't angry at you? Well, he actually died for you. And all those who are found in him, the Bible says that he took his wrath out on his son. You know, the Bible actually teaches that God has no more ability to be wrathful at us. Maybe disappointed sometimes, <laughs> right? He still disciplines, but there's no wrath. Right? So the book of Ephesians is one of the four prison epistles, right? Prison epistle just means Paul wrote it while in prison. <laughs> Blew your mind, right? Uh, this is Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He wrote these letters while in a jail cell or in a nice cushy Roman room. It just depends on the letter that you're reading. Um, <laughs> but even in that, uh, as someone pointed out so astutely, uh, regardless of how nice it is, prison is prison. Right. Um, uh, Tychus, we'll, we'll read about him later in this in this letter, but there's a character named Tychus. Right. And Paul actually says, I'm going to have Tychus bring this letter to you. Right. I hope I'm saying it right again. Hi, American white dude. I don't even know how to pretend to have an accent, you know, and so like, I try to say words and it's like my wife laughs at me all the time when I try to say her Russian words. And uh, I, I, I have like a like a, a fear of speaking Russian words. Because one time I said a Russian word and my mother-in-law, who's sitting right there, she looked and she goes, do you mean blank? And I was like, yeah. And then she just started laughing at me and I was like, I'm never speaking Russian again. Um, uh, but Tychus is stated to have carried the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians. And many people believe that he carried them at the same time. Here's actually why. They are very similar books. Colossians and Ephesians is almost the exact same book. But Colossians is very specific. Hey, Colossians church, 
stop it, right? And then Ephesians is very much like, guys, let's love each other. Uh, but the topics covered are almost exactly the same. Uh, you can do line for line, though there is some original stuff in Ephesians. And lastly, uh, Onesimus carried Philemon, and he also probably carried it at the same time. So Tychus and Onesimus, who are these characters? Honestly, you just write it down. You can look into them. Um, Onesimus was a slave. Tychus was a follower of Christ. They're, at, they're with Paul, and Paul gives them letters to send to the churches, probably at the same time. I'm setting a foundation here so we can understand when Paul is talking about identity, he's in prison. And when he says, I am an apostle called by Christ Jesus, he's writing it from one of his low moments. That Paul could maintain a healthy recognition of who he was in an absolutely broken place. The things that break you do not have to take your identity from you. And, and listen, it's hard to, to hold on to who you are when everything is pressing on you to make you compromise. But Paul teaches this in one of his favorite lines that we'll read later, or one of Christendom's favorite lines is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And literally in that verse, Paul is saying, I can remain faithful to God even in this jail cell. And he's not, you know, I've seen the thing where the dude tried to open the pickle jar and he's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's like, yeah, that's not what Paul was talking about, but you do you, have a good time. Um, Uh, the term Ephesus is removed in a lot of the other writings. I mentioned that, right? And this is probably so that other churches would receive it better. Uh, the writing is very impersonal, even though Paul spent years with the church. You can see that in Acts 19 and Acts 20. Paul spends a long time with this church. Um, he doesn't seem to have written in response to anything specific. Again, I'm, I'm repeating myself. Uh, just teaching proper doctrine in the face of false widespread beliefs. Um, so it seems like in this general area, some kind of cult was rising up. And so Paul wrote this letter first to the church of Ephesus, but then to circulate it. So, so why the church of Ephesus? One, Paul has a really, really good relationship with them. Um, the, the church of Ephesians is the church we know the most about, right? Acts 19 and 20, the church, the book of Ephesians, first and second Timothy, first, second, and third John, and Revelation chapter 4 were all written to the church of Ephesus. That is the church that we know by far the most about in antiquity, right? Because there's so much going on there. I mean, it makes sense though. Mary, the, the, to, to the best of history, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was at that church along with John. Timothy, one of Paul's main apostles, was also the bishop over that church eventually. And it's like one of the elders there. And so the, you, there's just a lot going on at that church. Um, but it, Ephesus is also the capital of Asia Minor. And so it's really easy to spread things from the capital. Other reason why I probably went to Ephesians first. All the roads led to Ephesus. And so they send the letter off and 10 people in 10 different directions and they're going to hit 10 different cities because it's this epicenter city. Does that make sense? Um, I want to read you a verse from the Bible uh, novel. I might even read two of them. Um, and then we're going to just address a couple of things that we just see in Paul's introduction. And then we're going to call it here uh, because I don't want to get, I just want to build a healthy foundation for the book so that you know where we're going with the rest of this series. And honestly, I just want us to focus on this topic of identity for the next 15 minutes. Um, 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. We'll start in verse 1. Paul, he wrote it, and he said so. People don't typically argue this. Like 2,000 years later, some of us want to argue it, but like there are writings from like 100 AD where they're like, oh, yeah, Paul wrote that. <laughs> you know, like there are church fathers writing oh, oh, to Paul, in Paul's letter to Ephesus, and they start quoting from the book of Ephesians. Like very early on in history, we can see that the church has always known Ephesians was written by Paul. But in case you were doubting it, Paul did just say so himself. Right? Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. What does Christ mean? Anointed one. The Greek word for Christ is Messiah. Do you know why they had to specify Jesus Christ? Because Jesus was a dumb common name. <laughs> it's, it's really that simple. For those of you who might not know, Christ isn't actually Jesus' last name. Um, it's not his last name, but some people do think so. Uh, it's not. It's a title, and the reason why they had to give him the title is because it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus over there, and there's like, well, there's 10 Jesuses over there. Which one are you talking about? It was an incredibly common name at the time. Uh, so it wasn't, uh, when they say that Jesus' name is the name that is above all names, they're not literally saying, like, Jesus, right? They're not saying Yeshua is the name that is above all names. They're talking about the character and nature of Jesus Christ, because name means character, and they're saying that he alone, our Messiah, is the name that is above all names because he is our Christ. Uh, to the saints, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, we, 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 be, I think because of the Catholic Church, we, we have like a weird view on the term saint. Saint means, saint is a noun. The verb form of saint is sanctifying. Literally, it's saying the sanctified ones. Like, hey, you people that God is sanctifying, <laughs> you guys. That's what saint means. It's not like you have to perform a miracle in your lifetime and then after you die, you have to have been in a dream and then been confirmed. That's not, that's not something that we see in scripture. But to be fair, because I did just make a, a joke, uh, the, even the Catholic Church wouldn't read this letter and think it was their definition of saint. Right? To be fair. <laughs> right? Um, but to the saints who are in Ephesus, but you said that wasn't there. Yeah, in a lot of letters, it's like to the saints. Who are faithful in Jesus Christ. That's what it'll typically say. And are faithful. But I love this. To the saints, the sanctified ones who are faithful. Right? This letter is written to Christians. It is not written to anybody else. Paul is not concerned with what the unbeliever thinks right now. He is writing a letter to Christians. And specifically faithful ones. If you're lukewarm, this letter ain't for you, right? The saints who God is sanctifying, who are faithful, I want to talk to you about something. But I love it because right away he's defining the church. Right away he's saying you are saints. Right away he is telling you who you are. You are someone who God loves so much that he is making like himself. In Christ Jesus or in the Messiah Jesus, or in the anointed one, Jesus, right? That's how, verse two. Grace to you, hallelujah, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So there are really three, I'm lying, there are four things I want to hone in on. Three of them are about identity, and the fourth one is just a nice little closer or something to think on, right? Uh, 
something that gets missed very often when it comes to the concept of identity is if I know who I am, I am not offended by who you are. Right? I already forgot. So um, if I know who I am, oh, there you go. Uh, I, I'm not offended by who you are. Right? Because if maybe we're both called to be evangelists, but I'm not in competition with you because I know, I know who I am. Right? See, but here's, here's the trick, and here's how Paul is using this concept of identity. If you know who you are, you're also not offended at people who have been placed above you. Here's the thing. We all have calls, and a part of Christendom is respecting each other's calls. And some people are called to be pastors. And let me tell you something about pastor. Pastor doesn't mean authority. Elder means authority. But some people are called to be elders. There are many people in this room who may never lead in a church setting, but you have the gift of pastor, right? This is that American Christian thing. We've confused the terms. Pastoring is a gift. It means you have the gift to shepherd people and speak life, right? And some of you are going to do that at your jobs. Some of you are going to do that in a warehouse, <laughs> right? Some of you are going to do that in your homes, and you're going to use your gift of pastoring to really just raise a family well. But, but, but when you know who you are, you're not intimidated by who someone else is. It becomes this cohesive thing. So often I'll see people uh, get offended at the concept of leadership, and it's because you don't know who you are yet. No one can tell me what to Maybe they can sometimes, right? But then when leaders recognize who they are, they're not trying to be autocratic. You know, if you read First Peter, Peter breaks down what it means to be a leader, and he says something very clearly. He says, don't lead by compulsion, lead by example. So he's telling them, if you want a community of people that serve, let them see you washing feet. Right? Paul was with the uh, church of Ephesians, right? And he pulled the eldership off to the side before he left. So in the book of Acts, chapter 20, Paul looks and he gives a lesson to the leadership of that church. And in chapter 20, verse 28, he says this. Uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. This is the people this, that are reading this letter that we're reading right now. This is what Paul is saying to them he's about to lead. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I have a, a thing that happens at my house, right? And my son's not old enough yet, so it's happened a lot when I was a kid, but scared me but it's gonna happen to my son as he gets older um when i was a younger if i was babysat by someone right and i and i disrespected the babysitter anyone know what would happen when my parents would get home they'd whip me <laughs> right and but why would they do that because when i disrespected who they put in charge i disrespected them right and I'm sorry that this is, we're going to get to the parts about you, but we have to talk about leadership for a second because Paul opens the letter how. I am Paul, an apostle. Yeah. I'm about to tell y'all some stuff. Open your ears. Yeah. And he's walking in his strength as a leader. Yeah. See, knowing who you are means you have to know your role. Yeah. And that's so healthy. And that's so important. Yeah. Right? And that's so, you know, I, I remember one time, long time ago, I, I, when I first became a pastor, I was working with someone who was a Christian, and they were my boss. And the Christian would tell me often, he goes, I feel so weird telling you what to do because you're a pastor. They didn't even go to our church. They would just tell me that. And I'm like, we're not in church. You're in charge, 
right? I'm secure in who I am, being secure who you, you're the manager. Like, just tell me what to do, right? Like, run this place like you're paid to run this place, right? There's a healthy understanding of who you are that comes with identity. Something that politics can't change who you are. They can't change how you speak. What we're seeing, I mean, come on, let's face it, it's, it's Pride Month, and people are defining themselves by anything they can because we have an identity issue within this nation. We have an identity issue within this generation because any psychological study that I've ever read pretty much says we find strength in our identity based on our, our father. This generation is very fatherless. And so we're going to see identity issues, which is why we have to be born again unto a new father, right? But that new father is up in heaven, and he left some people in charge. <laughs> and not every time a leader corrects you, they're being controlling. Sometimes they're just doing what God called them to be because they're them. Um, to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You know, Pastor Eric is an overseer to anyone who attends this church, right? By the Holy Spirit. Uh, to care for the church. There's the emphasis, though. If y'all start falling apart, I'm not going to come kick you. I'm going to kick him. Like, what are you doing? I'm just kidding. Like, he's the only pastor. Oh, there's a handful of them, right? But it's like, <laughs> but, it, but it's important, which he obtained with his own blood. So literally what Paul is telling them is, God put you in charge of something he bled for. That's not go do you, right? That's you better take this serious. You have to know who you are. But church, you have to know who you are, right? Uh, later, Paul is going to call... Um, Paul is going to call Jesus Christ the Messiah. We talked about that, right? Christ means anointed one. In Greek, it means Messiah. Anointing is a symbolic act. I wrote this down, so I'm going to read it. Uh, anointing is a symbolic act to indicate God's choosing. It is to show that the person is set apart to serve God. Christ was not an anointed one, though. He was the anointed one. Now, many of us are anointed, but there is something specific, plus anointed one, Messiah. That's throwing us all the way back to Daniel. So let's read Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 9. Uh, it's all over Daniel, by the way, but I'm just going to hone in. And you're going to read some other things in this verse. And you're like, what's this talking about? That's not the point of the sermon. That's a different sermon. Uh, chapter 9, verse 25 and 26. This is, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one. So this is a prophecy about the coming Christ. A prince. Prince of peace. Uh, there shall be seven weeks. This is talking about the end times. Maybe it's talking about the rapture. Maybe it's talking about the millennial reign. Maybe it's talking about the amillennial reign. Who knows? I don't want to get into it. The point is, is that he's the anointed one. Uh, and then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat. But in a troubled time, one more verse. Uh, and after 62 weeks, an anointed one, Jesus, shall be cut off and shall have nothing. The cross. Right? And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It's very interesting is this prince gets cut off. And what they said is, and then another prince is going to come. Right? Because the Jewish people actually believed there'd be two messiahs. or Many of them did. Right? Right? But Jesus died and then he resurrected and came back. Right? Which they weren't prepared for that. And he's coming back again for his bride. Right? And so this prophecy is the same Jesus, but it seems like it's two different princes. 
because the concept of resurrection wasn't seen in the text just yet. Um, it end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be a war. Desolations are decreed. <laughs> <laughs> such a terrible way to end that. But, uh, but basically, Jesus is the anointed one prophesied about. And here's something you have to understand. When Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, Jesus Christ, he is telling them the Messiah from the end times. His stage of being cut off is over, and he's up. He's letting them know because, again, this is a book of identity. Paul knows who he is, but he also knows who Christ is. And, and I've said this a couple times, but I need to say it 10 more times. Until you know who God is, you cannot truly have a full grasp of who you are. And I don't mean you have to know God completely. I mean, you just have to know him, pursue him, seek him. When the Bible says God is a father, what does that make you? When the Bible says that God is our friend, Jesus says that. What does that make you? When he says that he is a shepherd, what does that make you? Right? When you know who he is, there's an implication of who you are. The Bible says that God is Jehovah Jireh. If he's your provider, what does that make you? The one provided for. Right? And there are promises implied in who he is. Because when we know who he is, it'll tell us who we are. Listen, he's a father. You are not just a son or a daughter. You are a beloved son or daughter. And with the Christians, Paul identified them as saints. Saints means holy ones or consecrated people. Again, I'm repeating myself, but I, I hope this, was, this wasn't meant to be a loud explosive service. This really was meant to lay a foundation because we got some stuff to talk about. And the book of Ephesians is one of the most amazing books in the Bible. Paul is very specific, and it is so empowering. And so here I am just... Laying down the little groundwork, and we're going to have a good time over the next few weeks. Um, but here's what I love. Uh, saints means consecrated or holy ones. Again, the verb form of the word saint is sanctify. And what I love is in John chapter 17. I'm going to read chapter, verse 17 all the way to verse 19. God, Jesus Christ, says this. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He's praying to God right now. Jesus is Christ is praying to God. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into this world. Ready? For their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. Saints means sanctify, consecrated, holy ones. Jesus literally says, I am now, again, all those words just mean set apart. When the Bible says God is holy, it's saying that he is set apart. He is so different than anything you'll ever see. He is so off to the side, right? And so when the, when the Bible says Christians are called to be holy, it means set apart. I don't look like the world that I live in. I actually look like I don't belong because I don't belong. And trust me, that's why Jesus says they'll hate you. Because if you look like you don't belong, they will reject you eventually. Who are they? They, right? The, the them. <laughs> but when Jesus says, I sanctify myself or I consecrate myself so that they may also be sanctified, it's so crazy. Again, it's just, it just means Christian, right? The term Christian just means little Christ. And, and what is Jesus saying? He's like, like I am sanctified, I'll sanctify them. 
He says, once again, we're just called to be like Jesus. And so when Paul says, you saints, he's just talking about people who are like Jesus, people who are pursuing him. And that's who we are. Our goal is just to love God. That's, that's the whole challenge. I, I've, I've always loved, there's a quote by Judah Smith. He says, I, he says, your greatest challenge is not your discipline, it's not your devotion, and it's not your focus. But your greatest challenge will be just believing the gospel. Is it possible that God just loves you as much as the Bible says? Yes, he does. But it's hard to remember, and that's why I actually tend to agree with Judah Smith. I do think that is one of the hardest things to remember. It's just how loved you are. And, and many people will say, oh, I don't forget how loved I am. But then it comes out in our actions. Every time a rent check comes around, you're sweating again, even though you did everything you could. And God's taking care of you 10,000 times, but maybe this time you won't. Know who you are, right? The world seems like it's going to crush you. You feel like you have no way to go, but, but know who you are. Because God's there for you. I'll close with this. Um, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God. Um, I have a commentary by Wolford and Zuck. Who are those people? Who cares? If you want the commentary, go get it. It's, they're theologians. It's a really good commentary. It's my go-to. Any sermon I've ever written, I have stolen stuff from them left and right since I've gotten their books like two or three years ago. Uh, but they say grace expresses God's steadfast love towards man, and peace shows that our relational state as a result of that grace. So when Paul is saying grace and peace to you, he is saying that the grace, he's just reminding them that God loves you. And because God loves you, you are always in a healthy relational state with him. Right? It's a story about peace. This is, I'll close on this story. Um, I think I've told it before, but I'll tell it again. Um, it's an old, I'm sure it's a wife's tale, um, of a king who wanted a painting in his bedroom. And he said he wanted the painting to be, paint for me the definition of peace. Right? And when the time came, there was pictures of lakes, of streams, of beautiful open meadows. But there was one painting of a storm, right? And so the king looked at the man's painting and says, how is this piece? And the man points to the center of the picture. And if you look, there's a little cave. And in that cave, there rests a dove. And he says, the fact that the dove can rest in a storm means that he's at peace. And I'm sure it's an old wives' tale, but he won the competition, just like the tortoise beat the hare. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's an old wives' tale, but listen, that is a beautiful picture of what peace really is. I know whose I am, and so I know this storm is not to my destruction. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Dear Lord in heaven, help us to know who we are in you. Loving Father, God, your love is so beautiful and it's so lovely i gotta pray every person in this room would begin to find themselves defining themselves by what you have said about them god help us to really see your love for us and help us to be kind like our father is kind and to be gentle like our father is gentle 
but to speak truth like our Father speaks truth. That we truly would embrace this moniker of Christian. Little Christ. With the goal just to love you. If the chief end of man is to glorify God, then may I glory in you all the rest of my days. And in Jesus' name I say, amen.